Warning, this episode contains adult language and content. Sham Fiction, Video Game Edition. the show where two writers cross pens in a duel to write what they don't know. Now, here's your host, Andrew Neal. Oh, love chip tunes. That's how they sound. <laughs> yeah, welcome. You know what that what? means, because there have been two previous episodes that have had <laughs> yep. that. Okay. Indie games. <laughs> you guys ready for this? What an intro. Oh, we're I'm ready. In. Yep. So excited. I realized, Never Never I realized by trying to mimic life. them that it's really hard to do chiptunes with a human voice. Uh, <laughs> I cannot do it with my human voice as opposed to my non-human voice. Your angel voice. Oh, I like that. I like that. It's like if, like if, if a pirate had a baby with an angel. <laughs> it's Andrew Neal. <laughs> uh, uh, I just saw that movie. If you don't know what movie we're referencing, get a job and go see it. All right, here we go. Starting the episode. My name is Andrew Neal, and I am the host for this week. And you know it's a good week when Andrew's hosting. Oh, uh, man, I am so pleased to be hosting an indie game episode for you all uh it's gonna be a lot of fun i've enjoyed the last couple of weeks and i think we're gonna enjoy this one too i think we're i think i think we're in for a great one but before we get too far into it i gotta introduce my co-hosts uh the writers for this week first off mr marcus man welcome to the show thank you mr deal I'm, i'm very excited to be here yeah, yeah. You 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 feeling in uh, right in shape? I I've been I've been working out the knucks. Got some. Oh, uh, oh yeah. There's the oh wow. Some oh jeez. For the uh, listening audience. That is that is graphic. Oh, That's my. Oh. Those are my right knucks. <laughs> nope. Didn't want to hear that. Moving along to <laughs> Mr. Eric Carlson. Welcome, Eric. Ugh. What? What? Ugh. What is I'm this? I'm thinking about I'm thinking about Marcus's knucks. Oh, it is a uh, it's not something that you want to picture. It's not something you want to think about. We should probably yeah, stop just, talking about okay, his knucks. Okay, listeners, there is nothing wrong with my knucks. They should uh, definitely oh. keep keep talking about them. Keep saying that word. It's not a dirty word, but yet it sounds. It like does it. sound pretty it dirty. Does, it doesn't yeah. sound good. It well, doesn't. You're sound the one good. we call knuckles, Andrew. <laughs> I'm just talking about my knucks. Oh, we need to stop. So Knuck, wait, Knuckles the Echidna? Is that what we're talking oh, about now? That's who Andrew is. He's punching that's his right. way back into this week's episode. Pow! There it is with his with his knucks. With his his spiky knucks. Oh God! <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, now I'm hearing it. <laughs> now you get it. Now you get it. So today, fellows. <laughs> We are sticking to that indie game theme. I brought an indie game. I did not break the cycle as I promised that I wouldn't. I didn't. I'm not, this isn't an indie film as much as I love those near and dear to my heart. 
This is an indie game, you know? So it's not a Call of Duty. It's not a Halo. It's another game. (laughs) (laughs) It's not one of those. This one's called Firewatch. Firewatch is the name of today's game. Firewatch? I've heard of this. I have never played. I hope you haven't. Because if you have, we will have to stop right now. And I will have to pitch another show. Or another Question, question query, yeah. query for mm-hmm. you, sir. Is it any good? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. Because I'm pitching it. That'd be that'd be really weird if I was pitching something I didn't enjoy. Yeah, but it could just be like you, like, hey, this game sucked. Uh, you guys can do better. Go. Oh, that could no. be that could be the no. assignment. Who would play a game that they didn't like? Who would do that? Uh, they mean spirited, man. Uh, do people hate play games? Is that a thing? I know people hate watch movies and TV shows, which just sounds mean spirited. It's also a big investment of time. Yeah, you know, games Mm -hmm. more of an investment of time. This game is like, I don't know. I guess you know mileage may vary in terms of time for this one specifically, but I think it takes took me like seven hours or so to beat it, something like that. Oh, so Firewatch, wonderful game. Enjoyed the heck out of it. One of my favorite gaming experiences that I've had. Over the last couple of years, I don't play a ton of games, but when I do, it's typically indie games. I don't play a lot of the big ones. Every once in a while, I'll dip a toe into a Last of Us, perhaps, which is phenomenal. But that's a big game. We're talking little games. Little games. This is a good one. This is a great one. One of my favorites. It was developed by a company called Campo Santo, uh, and it was published by them and another company called Panic incorporated uh i was informed recently by mr marcus Mann. hey that's me campo santo was acquired by gaming juggernaut valve one of the biggest gaming companies in the world at least this world yeah oh maybe not the next it's true or the one after that (laughs) but they are the makers of portal and half-life those are some pretty big games not indie games neither of them yeah. Different category. Uh, you know, so. the, it, was, it was Portal. Portal was, uh, that was an interesting story, right? So that was originally created by an indie game studio. It wasn't originally in the, the Valve universe. They made a very similar game. And then Valve bought them. And then they said, make it a Half-Life thing. And that's where Portal right. came from. I, I didn't know that. So I'm maybe Firewatch 2 will be Portal 3. Uh, could be. Probably not. Pretty different. Pretty different game than this, a Portal game. Because, I mean, you're talking a uh, Portal game. It's a game about, you know, you got a you got a gal running around in an orange jumpsuit. She's got a big, white, shiny gun. And a big, white, shiny gun, it shoots portals. But here's the thing. It can it can do one kind of... It's got an orange portal and also a blue portal. Yep. And when you shoot both portals, yep. uh, they connect yep. like portals. You know, kind of like portals. Yep. Whereas Firewatch, I assume, is a game about uh, a very fancy timepiece that is on fire. Ah! <laughs> completely, completely different things. You know, it's funny because you could take the title Firewatch very literally in one way, like you have just taken it, and you can also take it very literally in the way it's actually taken, <laughs> in that you are watching for fires. Uh, <laughs> Which is... You just made... You just killed this game for me, Andrew. I'm That's so sorry. Fun. But I think you'll find that although that doesn't sound fun to you, this game will interest you. <laughs> it's a game about sitting 
in a in a tower in the woods, just watching, just waiting for smoke. Is there smoke there right now? Nope. Not nope. entirely inaccurate. Look over to the left. <laughs> Is there smoke over there? Nope. All right. <laughs> Back to the right. <laughs> You play as a QA tester, uh, so you're checking for quality on a eight-hour Yule Log video. <laughs> oh, man, did, really did, did like, some soot fall that we don't want? Did, <laughs> did, did my weird uncle walk in front of the camera at one point? Oh, dang it, he did. He actually collapsed drunk in front of it. I'm going to have to completely do this again. Uh, no, neither of those things. We'll get to what it's about in a second. I need to get to the credits. Uh, this this game was directed by uh, Sean Vanneman and Ali Moss. That name might oh. sound familiar because Ali Moss is a very very popular graphic artist. Yeah. Um, so the look of this game is amazing. Cool. Um, written by Chris Remo, Jake Rodkin, as well as Moss and Vanneman, and produced by Gabe McGill and Jane Ng, and it features the voice talents of. Minnesota Zone, Rich Summer, yes. Oh hey, there you go. Who, from Mad Men, from the maddest of men. Yeah. Oh John exactly. Ham. Huh? I said oh John Ham. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, that is inaccurate. Different person entirely. Gotcha. Yeah, Rich Summer and uh, not Minnesota Zone, but also turning in in. A, in incredible voice performance uh an actress named sissy jones the voice the voice talent the 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 performance in this game are incredible it's just the it's it's insane how good the 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 voice um performances are in this in this game um came out in 2016 you can get it all over the place like all these indie games they're available pretty much wherever you want them you got you got the pick of the litter you got your windows you got your mac you got your Linux, you got your Xbox One, you got your PS4, and it's coming soon to Switch. Not there yet, but it'll be there soon. It's probably going to be there maybe even by the time this episode comes out. Who's to say? Who's to say? Surely this... not I. Nope, so don't say it. This uh, game, uh, it's the genre, is it's a first-person game. You are seeing through the eyes of one of the characters. It's a bit of an adventure, and it is a decision-based game. Um... In fact, I believe, I don't have the information in front of me, I believe someone involved in this, I'm drawing a blank, which one uh, was uh, worked on the Walking Dead titles uh, that Telltale did, um, or still does, I believe. Um, So if you're unfamiliar with uh, the Telltale games, that's a gaming company, they make a lot of these games that are very decision-based, you're like kind of playing along with like a series, you're watching it, playing as a character, and you get to decide how you like interact with things in the world, Um, you get choices, and based on your choices, different things in the game can happen, so this game has a bit of that, but in a very specific way, which I'll get into. Telltale's Um, more like an interactive movie. Where it's, yes. it's not a first-person experience. It's very much uh, you're watching a story up until a point plays out, then it's press A to do this, press B to do that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a good and distinction choose to Choose your own adventure. Yeah. Those are fun yeah. games. Yeah, I, I, I love those games. That's probably one of the big reasons why I really liked this one, because, again, it's like that in a very specific element, and I'll get into that. Right now, because I think it's time to get to the pitch-in. So if if, uh, our uh, uh, benevolent overlords would please 
Start the clock. Pitch session. Eight minutes on the clock. Three, two, one. Let's jam. All right, so Firewatch is set in the summer of 1989 Ooh, in here. the Shoshone National Forest, which is a real place in Wyoming, United States. Oh. You play as a gentleman in his late 30s named Henry. This is uh, the, the, the character voiced by Rich Summer, who takes a summer job as a fire lookout in the Shoshone. Uh, this is the job wherein, like we've covered, you are in a lookout tower, and if you see a fire, you report it. Uh, there's other maintenance and groundskeeping stuff, like taking care of trails, but what it mostly amounts to is a lot of free time spent with yourself, which is why Henry took the job. Mm-hmm. So, the game's prologue, which plays out only in text, which you kind of choose the way your the previous 10 years of your life has gone, primarily in relation to your relationship with your wife, Julia. Uh, Julia was a college professor, and you met while drinking beer, which you both really enjoy doing. Uh, <laughs> you move in together, you get a dog, you get along <gasps> sometimes, sometimes you don't. Uh, you talked about the possibility of having kids, but things in life, work, just kept getting in the way. Um, but while not much in, much started was really panning out career-wise for you, Julia had some success in her uh, in her career. She's a biology professor, uh, but it, it ultimately all came crashing down because Julia developed early onset dementia, and you eventually couldn't take care of her yourself. Mm-hmm. And no matter what decisions you make, Julia is eventually taken away. She's either put into full-time care or her family takes her away from you. And now she's gone. She, I mean, she was mostly gone before, but now she's completely gone. So you find and take this job in the Shoshone. And your first night in the tower, you immediately get a call from Delilah, who is your supervisor and the lookout in the next nearest tower. Uh, you communicate entirely over a walkie-talkie. This is how it works throughout the game. And her first question, of course, is, so what's wrong with you? Because <laughs> no one takes this job unless something is wrong in their lives, which, for you, you have this deep emotional past with your wife that you're reckoning with. Um, and the key theme of the game is isolation, both physical isolation and emotional. It informs the three key elements of the game that I want to get to. First off, the environment. As, as I said, Ali Moss helped design this game. It is a beautiful game. It has a very stylized look, but yet it still really captures kind of a natural feel to it somehow. I mean, it's just beautiful, and you spend a great deal of the game just kind of walking around through the park, um, and it's just beautiful wilderness. I think Yellowstone, Shoshone is, Shoshone is actually very close to Yellowstone National Park, um, but you are in the middle of nowhere. So this physical isolation, there aren't any roads. It is a two or three day hike, even just to get back to your truck and then a drive beyond that to get anywhere. So you are, there's, there's no, no, no civilization nearby. So you spend a lot of time hiking around and talking to Delilah. And that's the next key element is the relationship you build with Delilah. Cause that's where your choices come in. Depending on the way you engage with Delilah informs the way that your relationship with her goes. So you can choose to talk to her or you can ignore her completely. But Delilah loves to talk. So even when you don't, she probably will. 
She also loves to swear. There are many fuck <laughs> words in this game. <laughs> Yay. Uh, so, Eric, you will love it. Yay, fuck um, yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of instances. Four minutes remaining. Oh, halfway through. Um, so there are a couple of instances where she calls you while drunk, because she also drinks a lot, similar to you. Um, and she has a dark and playful sense of humor. So she makes fun of you a lot, especially when you ask, like, what should I do sort of questions. Her typical response is something along the lines of, you're a grown-ass man, figure it the hell out. Um, but she's been doing this job for years, so even though she heckles you a lot, she'll, she'll, she will help you out. Um, she also tries to poke and prod and get into your personal life, even though she's hesitant to share a lot about herself. But just remember, again, she knows, you know, when you're out, you're the only reason someone takes this job out here is because something in your life is wrong. Um, and so that relationship takes up a lot and you spend a lot of time talking to her as you're walking around this beautiful place. Um, finally... And let's get into it, the very suspenseful storyline. What? So, on your first day on the job, Delilah requests that you go investigate down by a nearby lake. Someone is shooting off fireworks. And you go there, and you discover these drunk teenage girls, and you tell them off, and then they go away. And on your way back to the tower, you find a couple more strange things. First, there's a cave with a locked gate inside, which prevents you from going in too deep. Next... While scaling the hillside back to the tower, you see a shadowy figure standing up on a ledge above you, watching you. Ugh. And this uh, prompts one of my favorite lines from Delilah. You call and you say, there's some creepy dude watching me. And she says, there's something I need to tell you about this area, Henry. It's outside. <laughs> All of it. People can come and go as they please. It's madness. It's one of my favorite <laughs> lines in the whole thing. <laughs> But when you get up to that spot where the guy was watching you, he's not there. Or there's no, there's no one to be found. Two minutes remaining. All right, two minutes left. Um, so when you get back to your tower, it's weird, and you find that it's been ransacked. There's a broken window. Your stuff has been scattered everywhere, and you think, okay, did the teenage girls do this? Did this guy do this? Who was responsible for this? And you didn't get a good look at a guy, the guy, so you don't know what he looks like. Um, the next day, Delilah reports that the phones are down. So they can't, you can't communicate with the outside world. She thinks it happened in an overnight storm, but soon you find that the phone line has been cut. Uh, you go and you see some smoke nearby. You investigate that. But while walking towards the smoke, you also find this old backpack hanging from a tree that has climbing gear. And it has a name on the pack that says Brian Goodwin. Uh, Delilah says that this was the name of a boy who lived with his father who was a lookout in the tower a few years ago and they disappeared they left unannounced in the middle of the summer and she never learned why no one ever learned why um, and then eventually you find the source of the one smoke one minute remaining one minute eventually you find the source of the smoke which is another campfire and it's the teenager's campsite and it too has been completely ransacked things are strewn about the tent is torn up you find a note from the teens in which they say they left, but they blame you for the damage. Um, soon after that, Delilah informs you that the girls have been reported missing. So something strange is going on in this park, um, and there's going to be more things piling up involving this strange thing. At one point, you discover a clipboard with uh, transcriptions of your conversations with Delilah. Ooh. Like just like it just laying around. So something strange is going on. And during all of this, it's you know you're in this 
isolated, beautiful place and constantly reporting stuff back to Delilah. And she's getting freaked out too because she doesn't know what the hell's going on either. So the suspense is excellent. The relationship building Time's is up. superb. Time's up. We're at the end. What? Uh, man, you guys, I got really psyched going through all that stuff because this is a really exciting game. I love, I love the suspense of all of this. Uh, man, it's, it's such a good, such a good mystery. So I'm really excited to see what you guys do with these elements, with these, with this setup. Um, but before we get into the writing portion of the show, we got to do our, uh, two minute Q and A's with each of you, with you, where you both individually get to ask me questions. Um, so let's do that thing. Um, Marcus, let's start with you for this. All right. Um, so Eric, please, uh, go up into your lookout tower and Mm -hmm. ignore us. Don't listen in on the walkie. No, no, no peeping. None of that. Just go on, get. You know, there's a reason that I took this job, and it's to avoid talking to you assholes. So (laughs) I'll be down from the tower in exactly two minutes. Do not try to contact me. He he stormed the hell out. He (laughs) is gone. That was an impressive rate. (laughs) Yeah. He's a mad man. All right. Marcus, are you ready for some questions? I am so ready for some questions. All right. Let's do it. Two-minute Q&A. Begin. All right, have we ever met Delilah? We, no, we haven't. Henry, like in person? No. So we don't even know that there's a real Delilah. No. Ooh. Okay. She could uh, be lying about everything. Mm-hmm. Is there anything supernatural? No, there is not. How does Henry contact Delilah? Like, how do, how do we know who Delilah is? They, your communication with her is entirely through a walkie-talkie. Right, but where, where does that communication start? I don't know what you mean. So, uh, since he's never actually met her in person, does he just get a call and go, hey, this is Delilah, I'm in the next tower? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Yep. That's how it, how it starts out. But he doesn't have any previous knowledge that she was going to be there or anything like that. Um, as far I, as we know. It's pr- like, because you accept it, I would imagine that it was agreed upon that your supervisor's name is going to be Delilah and she'll call you when you're okay. there. But it's never really gotcha. gone into do we ever go over to any of the other towers? How many towers are there? Uh, the, you only see two. You know that there are more because you other people are referenced uh, and other towers mm-hmm. are referenced. Um, there's like a um, a supply crate nearby that like gives where supplies are dropped off for the like the area. So there's like a few other people around. But the only tower that you can see is Delilah's. You can see Delilah's tower from yours. What was Henry's previous job? We don't know. It doesn't go into it, ever. Okay. Does he have survival skills? Seconds remaining. Oh, 30 seconds. Um, yeah, because you, you're able to navigate the, the hiking terrain. Again, it was like a two or three day hike just to get out to this place. So yeah, you're competent in that aspect. Is there anyone left in Henry's life now that Julia and the family are gone? Doesn't seem like it. Like he, he, you don't really hear much about anybody else. Like maybe some friends, but you don't. I don't even think you're getting any names. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it's, Time's oh, up. That's time. That is the end. Yeah. That's exciting. Good. I'm glad to hear that you uh, think so. Yeah. I've been I've been wanting to play this one for a while because it got a lot of buzz. Yeah. I didn't say so that. But like this it? game won a lot of year like. 
Best Indie Game of the Year awards from a lot of different publications. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right on. So, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll write it, and then I'll play it. Yeah, do that. <laughs> All right, now scurry off All right, into the wilderness. I'm going to scurry. And Eric will come back down from his tower. I'm going to light a lot of fires. Don't, so. don't do oh. that. Do not Enjoy. stop. Oh, man, he's gone. He's... That was that was not relaxing at all. I thought I was going to have a couple of minutes of peace. Why wasn't it relaxing? What wrong? What happened? Because this damn watch burns. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh that was good. Good good callback. Uh let's uh let's let's get into Are you ready for some some questions? I think I am well, ready. Can, did you take for some the watch questions. off so that it won't distract uh, you? Yeah, well they don't let you take it when you leave the tower. Oh, that's right. That's right. All right. Got it. Got it. Okay. So then I think we're good. I think we're ready. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's do, do this, this thing. thing. Two minute Q&A begin. All right. So what does Henry carry? Does he have any tools that come in handy? Lots of rope. There's a lot of repelling going on. Um, you get an ax at one point. Ooh. I think that's a, and a flashlight. You have a flashlight. Those are the key nice. things that you okay, use. Okay, cool. Lots of scenes at night? There are scenes at night, yeah. Ooh, okay, that's suddenly spooky. Okay, is Henry, like, particularly good at anything, at anything skills that would come in handy here? I can't tell Just you a regular that, schmuck? Because Marcus asked that. Oh, okay, fine. Uh, can you tell me anything about Delilah's past? I'd rather not tell you anything about. Oh no 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 juicy no, details. No no, but I will I will say that she's very prone to asking about you, but when you ask about her, she gets a little hesitant. She clam she clams mm-hmm. up. Uh, okay, so there's a lot of suspense. Is there any like horror elements, like monsters and killers? Like, is your life at risk in this game? Um, I will say that I there are no monsters. Um, but you definitely feel that your life is at risk at a certain point. Um, there's, there's enough happening dangerous that is definitely an uneasiness and the threat of possible harm. Gotcha. Uh, is there electricity at this tower? You have a generator. In the tower? You Mm -hmm. have a generator. 30 seconds remaining. Um, I have to imagine he has like a radio. Does he have like a TV? No, no TV. No radio that I can Whoa, think of. What? Just the walkies. Just the walkies. Yeah, I can't really think. You never really listen to a radio at any point, so I don't sure. really. Sure. Okay. So I don't. I don't get it. Is the watch powered by fire? Does it shoot fire? All I know is that it's damn hot. Okay. So that is not. Time's I don't get up. it. Nope. Oh, didn't get, well, a, didn't get an answer. Know. So you're gonna have to invent that one uh, on your own. Um, ugh. Fine. Okay. Well, I guess I'm going back to this tower. Go back up in that tower. And if if I don't know how I'm gonna write with this scalding piece of metal uh, on my wrist. You'll 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 it'll toughen you up. You need to get tough out in the wilderness Ugh. here. Uh, it, it's going to be a story written entirely with my right hand, because my left is useless. You'll be ambidextrous by by the end of it. See, you'll you're learning skills <laughs> that you that can benefit you, but. God damn it, if a fire breaks out while you're up there, so uh, help me, your ass is grass. But you see, the problem is the story has to be entirely written with only keys on the right side of the keyboard. So, you know, Y, H, and B are going to be in there, but T, maybe a G 
Definitely not a V. Are you saying it, it certainly that you no can't use A's, the full key keyboard if you E's. have only one hand to use? Yeah, I'm only. It's there are rules. Oh, stop it, Andrew. Okay. I'm, you want me to type and hunt and peck with the one hand? I'm not oh, an animal. Man, there are ways to type with one hand, Eric. But we're not going to get into them right now. Right now, we're going to get into some juicy advertisements while we. Prepare for the writing, reading, reading, reading of stories uh, on the other <laughs> side of, of this advertisement. <laughs> Words are sometimes hard, even for those of us that write. So let's get into that ad. Take it away, me. Hey, gang, it's your favorite time of the show when me, your host, Andrew, talks directly to you for a commercial break. But, gang... You hear this week after week, you know the drill, you know what I'm gonna say. Go to your social media, look for Sham Fiction, we're probably there. Go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, leave a review, a rating, you got it, you know? Like, we have like a minute in the middle of the show here, I don't even need all this time. Because we got it covered, you know it, you're smart people, you're intelligent people. What was that? Did you just hear that? It was a really weird sound. Oh, and also, if you kick us a few bucks, of course, I forget something. <laughs> if you kick us money on coffee.com, <laughs> I guess. We'd love it. I love you. Let's get back to the show. Not re-recording this. A clunk, a clunk, a clunk, a clunk. Hey, everybody. It's me coming down from my fire tower. You hear them clunky wooden stairs? Is that what that was? And I, walked I closed into, my I walked... eyes. It was like I was there. Yeah. And then I was in the long grass. That's what the shh yeah, shh 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 shh. Yeah, that's okay. That was the noises. We're in Shoshone National Forest right now, recording live. <laughs> true. True facts about sham those, fiction. Do you hear those birds? You hear them? You hear them? You hear them? Oh. That's a. That's a bald eagle <laughs> that's what that is that's definitely what i'm seeing right now oh, with my eyes man and what's this over here what's this creature what's... <coughs> yeah it's a rare uh, pigeon <laughs> bird thing <laughs> rare pigeon bird i got I, I i lost my uh my bird watching manual anyway we're here uh we're here to read some stories about this here location in which we're recording right now totally really um firewatch gentlemen eric hello marcus hey you write some stories about firewatch you oh, go up in a firewatch tower sure did yeah immerse yourselves i mean that's mm-hmm. why we're here not just to record but also so that both of you could immerse yourselves yep. in in the fire watching i, I didn't just burn myself once so much nature Ooh, yeah it's just like the whole thing is outdoors you can yep. <laughs> come wherever you want it's madness yeah, there you go. <laughs> you remembered. It's yep. a really good line. Um, good. Well, I'm glad that you experienced nature. Uh, there were beautiful sentiments made by both of you just now. Um, and I hope just as beautiful things are said in these stories. Let's get to them. <gasps> Let's, Let's get right to it. them. All right. Just in it. We're going to start with Messer Carlson. Ooh. Ooh. Please. All right. I'm, I'm strapping on my, my uh, sensible hiking boots. Hey! Uh, I got my utility vest oh. with my little pockets. Good, you need lots of, of pockets. You know, various compasses and fire starters. Nope. Unfortunately, they're all drawing compasses, so they're not very useful in this situation. 
Oh, you can <laughs> draw a real good circle. said, uh, yep, I got all this stuff, so I'm ready to go. Are you ready? Are you ready to listen? Oh, let's do it. All, all right. right. One second. One yeah. second. Yeah. Oh. I had to put my listening ears on. Oh, he put, he put his ears in for sure. He didn't have ears until now. It was terrifying. I wasn't listening. Out here in Shoshone National Forest. Wasn't listening to a word you were saying. I was just reading your lips and assuming <laughs> that I was responding correctly. But now you got the ears in. Mm-hmm. All, All right. Good. So let's do this. This is Firewatch by Eric Carlson. The rough hiking path that ran between Henry's Watchtower and Delilah's had been washed out by the storm. Branches from quaking aspen and whitebark pine lay scattered here and there thanks to the high winds. Puddles a foot deep in some places made passage difficult, but Henry plodded forward diligently, ignoring the wet chill creeping into his socks. Had his need been less urgent, Henry may have spent all day clearing the paths of debris and collecting fallen branches for drying and eventual use as firewood. That was one of his many duties as a fire watchman, after all. Instead, he stepped over his obstacles and kept his mind focused on Delilah. He had only actually seen her in person once, though the image of her bright, smiling face stuck to the back of his mind like an afterimage. It had been five weeks ago, his first day on the job. She had met him near the Cody, Wyoming entrance to Shoshone, clad in green shorts and a purple Depeche Mode t-shirt, shown him to his watchtower, and then guided him on, his ver- on this very path to her tower some five miles distant. It was during that long walk that she laid out his duties, including his obligation to keep the hiking trails around his tower clear and passable at all times. Since then, the two of them had spoken via radio every single day, until the day before yesterday, that is. All Henry knew was that Delilah had gone off to welcome a new watchman that day and never hailed him back. Even throughout the storm that hit yesterday afternoon, his radio had remained silent, which spooked Henry in ways he found hard to describe. Delilah was his lifeline in the quiet expanse of wilderness in which he lived and worked, and if she had gotten stuck in the storm or been abducted by this strange new watchman, he didn't know what he would do. The only option he had was to make the trek to her tower and see for himself what had become of her. And yet, he couldn't shake the feeling that he already knew what he'd find when he got there. At about the halfway point on the trail, Henry came across a 60-foot limber pine that had been almost completely uprooted and thrown across the path as if by a passing giant. The tree was old, gray-barked, and bristling with lush green needles. It was laying with its top down and to the left, following the downward slope of the land, as if it was about to slide headfirst down the muddy hill, a natural log flume of sorts. The only thing keeping it in place was the stubborn tangle of roots that attached it near a bend in the path. The sight of the old tree's corpse reminded Henry just how unforgiving this place really was. No matter how long you've called the place home, no matter how deep your roots went, you could still find yourself torn up and discarded. Food for worms. Fertilizer for the next generation. Was Henry the only one that would mourn this old giant? Probably. There was no way he'd be able to move the tree out of the path, and there was no good way around it. To the left was the steep drop, and to the right was the massive root ball. So Henry decided to climb over it. Easier said than done. If he still had his knife, the big antler-handled one that Julia had given him, he might have used it as a climbing spike, stabbing into the softwood to create convenient handholds. 
However, he hadn't seen that knife in weeks. Had Julia known he lost it, she would have given him endless grief for it. But if she found out now, there was a good chance she wouldn't even remember giving it to him in the first place. Hell, she probably wouldn't even know who he was. Her mind had gone the way of this great tree, struck down in its prime. After a few minutes, Henry managed to scramble over the trunk, using some of the lower branches as hand and footholds, losing his grip on the way down and falling on his ass in the wet muck on the other side. It didn't really hurt, but the feeling that he was being silly worrying about Delilah like this crept into his mind. Maybe he should just turn back, put on some dry clothes, and get back to work. Chances are, Delilah had just found herself stuck at the new watchman's tower during the storm, he thought, and now she was clearing the hiking paths like he was supposed to be doing. Then again, if the storm had managed to take out a fully grown limber pine, what could it have done to Delilah's watchtower? Could the winds have pulled it down, carrying Delilah with it? That thought gave him a shiver. He knew it was probably not likely, but he'd be worrying about the possibility all day, so he decided to keep going. As Henry got closer and closer to his destination, he found it more and more troubling that the path continued to be as messy with the leavings of the storm as it was. If Delilah was home, then surely she would have cleared all of this by now, right? He kept thinking that he would come across the woman hard at work on the trail, sawing through some dead branches and loading them into her wheelbarrow for firewood. The further Henry got without this happening, however, the more worried he became. Finally, after an hour of pathfinding through the detritus of the storm, he made it to Delilah's tower, standing as tall as the first time he had seen it five weeks ago. Henry breathed a sigh of relief. Something gave him pause, however. Large spruce branches littered the base of the tower, including some that were clinging to the metal steps that wound their way around the tower supports. If Delilah was here, she would have cleared all of this mess straight away, so either she wasn't at home, or worse. Henry sprinted past the fallen branches and began climbing the steps two at a time, losing steam about halfway up and resorting to a more reserved rate of ascent. Delilah! He shouted between heavy breaths. If she was actually there, sleeping in after a long night, he would want to give her some warning before barging in. Henry reached the top landing and stretched a hand out to open the door, but halted with a jolt as he realized that it was already ajar. Delilah! He repeated as he gingerly pushed the door open with a creak and a groan. The breath caught in Henry's throat when he saw her, sprawled out on the floor, face obscured by a wild tangle of dark curly hair, a brown stain on the linoleum that reached out from her chest towards the wooden cabinetry. Her left arm lay under her body in an unnatural position, and the right was stretched forward as if she had been trying to open one of the cabinet doors when she died. The green shorts and purple Depeche Mode t-shirt brought forth a wave of memory for Henry. It had been what she was wearing the day he met her, the one and only time he would ever see her alive. A loud chittering noise to his left drew Henry's gaze off the corpse for a moment. A squirrel had apparently made a nest under the open window out of the torn and ragged threads of Delilah's mattress, and was now upset that Henry had encroached on its territory. The creature stood in a defensive stance, paws spread wide, body hovering over what appeared to be a pair of babies, no more than a few weeks old. So it was a mother, and Henry was nothing more than a hungry predator. 
He ignored the angry chirps and turned back to Delilah's corpse, studying, studying it for a long moment, his mind racing. What was he going to do? Radio the other towers for help? What if the new watchman responded? Was he the one that did this to Delilah? What would he do to him when he realized what Henry had discovered? Should he run back out to the edge of the forest and radio for help there? Would he even make it that far on foot? Something caught his eye that he hadn't noticed at first. A whitish-brown protrusion cradled in the center of Delilah's chest. Her right arm was blocking the view, so Henry took a cautious step forward, then suddenly recognized the shape. An antler-handled knife buried deep in the woman's body. The knife Julia had given him. <laughs> the knife Henry had lost almost as soon as he got to Shoshone five weeks ago. The squirrel continued to screech at him, though it was difficult to even hear over the sound of his heart beating in his eardrums. His knife had been used to kill Delilah. Delilah, his only friend out here in the wilderness. Delilah, who was wearing the same clothes as she had the day they met. Delilah, who he'd only spoken to via radio for the last five weeks. He could see now that the woman's skin had become drawn and discolored, bones and veins clearly visible beneath. A wave of nausea struck Henry as the odor of decay seemed to meet his nostrils for the first time. It was the smell of a dead animal that had been left out to rot. This was no fresh kill. With a heave, Henry vomited on the floor and backed clumsily out of the room, his hands reaching out and gripping the metal rail of the top landing for support. The smell, the knife, the clothes, the dried brown blood, the squirrel with its young. Delilah had been dead a long, long time. And Julia's knife had killed her. Who then? had Henry been speaking to on the radio all this time. The end. <laughs> no, wait, wait, stop. Yeah. Uh, you didn't answer the question that you posed there at the end? <laughs> Who? What? Who then? Wait, that's the end? Who? That's the end. It says in, in, in all caps, see this? The end. Uh, I can report, having been here physically, here in Shoshone National Forest, that uh, Eric's laptop does indeed say the end after posing that question. Oh, man. The I... last time I saw a stolen knife murder like this, it turned out to be an assassin Joffrey had hired. So that might be the answer, Andrew. Ooh, there's there's, there's crossover. There's a thought. P potential. That's a possibility. Who's to say? Oh, man. Certainly not the author of this work. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Well... Uh, we'll we'll learn whether or not that uh, that uh, is in your favor or not. We'll see. <laughs> uh, no judgment. Uh, let's move on to thank you for sharing your story. Oh yes, of course. And let's move on to our second story of the show by Mr. Mark Spam. Mr. Mark hey, Spam. I did that. Hey. Yeah. All right. You guys, ready for a little gravel watch? I mean, fire watch. Uh, what did you say? Oh, man. I said fire watch, fire watch. No, I'm pretty sure I heard gravel watch. Oh, man. <laughs> Are you going to tell a story about gravel? I am very interested. I mean, there is a lot of gravel, you know, just out and about on these trails and it's such. It's a gravelly place. That's why I came here with you three hosts of Sandwich <laughs> and my favorite podcast about gravel. <laughs> it's become a lot gravelier as of late, that's for sure. Uh, 
You asked for it, listeners. Gravel Man, please, let's put them listening ears on. I don't have ears, it's just gravel. Uh, I guess that's right. <laughs> well, do whatever you do and listen. Okay. All right. I am ready to firewatch, guys. Ready let's for an uplifting story here. Here we I'm go. So excited. So uplifting. Very happy. <laughs> Starting now. Henry didn't want to kill himself, but he was indifferent to the idea of dying ever since his life had ended. Without Julia, every future he had imagined was like a spent log. There was a memory of its brightness, but if he tried to grab it again, it would crumble and blow away. Henry didn't want to kill himself, but without those futures to cling to, he couldn't help but notice he had surrounded himself with ways to die. He could fall from the tower and hope the foliage wasn't too forgiving. He could finish his month's supply of beer in a night that would then be his last. He could hike far beyond the trails to a place he would never be found. With an abundance of opportunities to let go, Henry needed to find a reason to want to live. It came to him sooner than he expected. The girls he had found shooting off fireworks were an annoyance, the kind of kids that made Julia hate her yearly intro to biology teaching requirement. He wouldn't miss them when he was gone. Delilah wouldn't shut her fucking mouth. Part of Henry was afraid she'd still be able to hear, or he'd still be able to hear her in the afterlife. No, it wasn't the job that would keep him going. Not directly. It was a name in faded ink scribbled on a too-large backpack. Brian Goodwin. Delilah had told him, at length, that Brian was the name of the son of a former lookout. He'd come to live in the tower with his father over the summer of... 85? 86? She had mentioned it was a few years back. One day, the two of them had left and were never heard from again. The father had put in his notice, and they had no other family to follow up on the missing persons report, so the search wasn't very long. It had been inconclusive. Until now. Henry had found the backpack hanging from a tree with fresh hiking gear inside. The bag had been torn and mended in a few spots, but it still seemed relatively solid. He had no doubt it had been used recently. If there was a chance that Brian was still out there, Henry knew he had to find him. Julia had never committed to having kids. They talked about it many times, but there was always another paper, study, or a changing class schedule that made it make sense just to wait. They both assumed they would have more time. Truth be told, Henry hadn't been so sure on the idea of kids either, but he had been sure about Julia. A primal part of him knew that if there could be more people like her in the world, eventually things would be alright. Losing not only her, but the chance to start a family had been devastating. It drove him to the beautiful desolation that surrounded him in Shoshone. Why would a man who had a family choose this life? Why would he subject his son to it? Everyone here is fucked up somehow, man, Delilah had said with her typical eloquence. What had led this father and son to being so broken they left the rest of the world behind? Henry had to know. More importantly, if there was still a chance, he had to help. The doctors had told him it was common for people in Henry's situation to gain a new perspective on life, to extol the preciousness of each shared moment. He thought it was bullshit until this happened. As his lungs needed to draw in breath, he needed to prevent the squandering of this gift that he and Julia would never receive. But where to begin his search? Henry wasn't clueless in the woods, but it had been many years since he had done any real tracking. 
Even then, he hadn't been particularly good at it. He always thought the merit badge was a better indication of his scoutmaster's fondness for him than his abilities as an outdoorsman. If Brian had really been close by in the past few days, there's a possibility Henry would miss something if he searched by himself and let him slip away again. Besides, one man couldn't cover as much ground as two. He could call for help, but even as his thumb rested on the talk button of his walkie, he found himself pausing. Part of this was no doubt because of the agony of any conversation with Delilah, but he was also concerned that she may be compromised. He still didn't know who had cut the phone line connecting them to the outside world. Delilah had been too eager to say it was a storm that had knocked out the line. Could she have done it herself? The clipboard Henry found, full of transcripts of their radio conversations, had been somewhat disturbing. But he remembered how easy it had been as a scout to frequency hop until you found an interesting conversation at a campground. He decided with everything going on that it was just as likely to be more kids at play. But what if they had something on Delilah? Everyone here was fucked up, after all. What if she had a secret she didn't want to get out? Cutting the line would buy her time. It would take a few days to get back to Kerwin between the hike and the hike to the car and the drive beyond that. It didn't take days to disappear in the forest. It could be weeks until someone was able to repair the phones, and by then it could be too late. If he didn't trust Delilah, Henry's only other option would be to travel those days out to Kerwin and ask someone in town for help. That'd be giving up valuable time when he didn't know how far gone Brian already was. He had to make a choice. Call Delilah for help and risk the whims of a woman he didn't truly know? Drive back to Kerwin and get a crew back on the search days after he had found the backpack? Or grab his pack, axe, and flare gun and hope he remembered what side of the trees the moss grew on? (laughs) Surrounded by bad options and finding death less enticing by the minute, Henry knew what he had to do. The end. The end. What did he know what he had to do? Yeah. He had, he had hey, to stab Delilah with his knife. Oh, just, it's just all connected. Oh my goodness, did it's you guys plan this? <laughs> so many questions, though. My yeah, goodness. you all are leaving me with mysteries. So many. Yeah. It's all part uh, of the mystery. Yeah, and I, I know how this show works. We ain't going to revisit these things. <laughs> These are left. Mysteries unanswered. They're in the past now. Oh, man. Uh, you know what? I'll get over it. Uh, <laughs> gentlemen, thank you. So thank you both for sharing your stories with me and with our gentle listeners. Let's 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 move on, shall we? Let's get to let's let's start talking about these stories. Let's talk. So get us started. Mr. Carlson. Yeah, hello. Would you please tell us about the process of writing for Firewatch? Oh, I tell you what, this one, <laughs> this one, this one was tricky. Did not uh, not come very easily to me. This took a couple of attempts. Um, like, I knew I wanted to bring in like some like madness some elements that may be like like uh, untrustworthy narrator sort of stuff mm-hmm. um, but I wasn't really sure how that was gonna work I wanted to play around maybe do something kind of fight club with uh, with Henry where oh, okay. he's you know having these blackouts and he's like doing things that he doesn't remember sure um, I thought it'd be fun to do a storm 
like maybe a scene in a storm where like the where all the power has gone out mm-hmm. and he's stuck in this tower in the middle of the night in this raging storm like I'm kind of conjuring images of like Jurassic Park oh, and yeah. uh, the Lost World um, and so I was on that track and I'm like what if I had a dinosaur in this game and <laughs> and that tra- you went that down a road trail led nowhere let okay. me tell you yeah. oh. so so I uh, I, I dried off headed back home that's really funny and i tried again the next day okay and i came up with this and yep. this was uh this was better this yeah. was this was more manageable it seems like you were dinosaurs shame it is a shame but uh yeah so this took a while like a few hours the first attempt just brainstorming mm-hmm. and then a few hours another day yeah. writing this all out so it was a twofer or you know yeah two attempter sure oh uh that's right i i'm looking through my notes i also started on the first attempt, just because I didn't really know what I was doing, so I started writing dialogue between Delilah and Henry. Okay. And trying to free write it, and I actually got quite a ways into it looking at this, and uh, and I stopped because I didn't know where the hell I was going with it. <laughs> I, I saw the note in there that says, "I don't like this. Where is this going?" Oh <laughs> yes, that is literally in my notes. Yep. That's when I started. <laughs> brainstorming the new idea mm-hmm. um but it was going to be like i realized the the first version that i was writing was going to be too funny ah. i don't want to make a funny thing okay like i had delilah um complaining that she needed batteries because her vibrator runs on like d-sized batteries and <laughs> and she needed to get some more batteries and it was this hilarious thing about how henry was uncomfortable talking about delilah's vibrator that's fantastic and it just did not feel right okay for this property yeah the game is really funny the game is very oh, it funny. Is. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, you, if you if you choose to talk to Delilah, it, it can sure. be pretty pretty dang funny. So <laughs> no, so a bit of a, a bit of a tough one. Yeah. It, it, it had to took a bit of work to get out, yep. but uh, that happens. That mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for sharing, Marcus. How yeah. did Firewatch go for you? How was your time spent up in the tower? Oh boy, I had a had a tough time with this one too. It was, there were so many elements that were going on that I found it very difficult to figure out what I wanted to base this beat around. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I decided I wanted it to be a player choice, right? So that's, that's why it ends where it does. Mm -hmm. That I was just going to structure this around, like maybe this is a scene in the game where you're presented with these kind of options. I can almost see the, the dialogue tree. And you, you pick which of these three routes are going to go, and that's where the story's going to split. Um, so I... Because I, I didn't want to spend too much time recapping all the craziness that you had described. And yeah. I also didn't know that there was really a great answer to any of those mysteries that I was going to pull together in this story. So I, I really started to focus instead on the theme of isolation... And mm-hmm. I really wanting to get into Henry's head thought about, you know, what is this loss like? And it's not just the loss of what you had, but it's the loss of what could be, which is very relevant to a, a game and, and making choices and uh, experiencing mm-hmm. a story. So that's where I ultimately ended up. So the story's not a lot of action, but it's a lot of uh, internal perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an internal conversation, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, thanks for taking us through that. Um, and those were good instincts in terms of like where your head was at with uh, 
thinking about that decision tree nature, you know, these, these choices that one has to make. Cause like you said, I mean, that's, that's uh, a big element of the gameplay. Um, but it doesn't work the way you would expect to in games like this. It's a little different. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, so we've heard two stories. We've heard a little bit about the process before we dig into it more. I got to pick a winner for the week. Uh, and as we all know, every week or every time on Sham Fiction, there's a winner, and it's none of us. <laughs> it's and true. It's a really, really crappy element yep. of this show yep. that none of us ever win. You know, I wish someone could change it, and no one can. It's impossible. <laughs> it is rote. It is written. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's rote on high. <laughs> at the top of Firewatch Mountain in the rocks there. Uh-huh. I've seen them. Um, oh, yep. yep. We were right here. We went up uh-huh. there. We took a look at them, and it said, no winners. Yep. And we are holding to it. <laughs> Thanks, rock writing. Uh, so because of that, and also because they made an excellent game that I love, uh, got to give credit to Campo Santo the developer of Firewatch and uh, the creatives behind the scenes, Sean Vanneman, Ali Moss, Chris Remo, Jake Rodkin, Gabe McGill, and Jane Ng. Great job, team. You made a good one. Now, <laughs> for the crowning of this week's least loser, Ooh. We, I, have, I have cobbled together this birch wood crown oh that's beautiful <laughs> look at the craftsmanship that is well do cobbled do you see it yep that's what you do with crowns you cobble them right yeah. yeah that's the the local cobbler it's crown maker that's what that old timey speak for crown maker see i know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. and i'm gonna put this crown on oh i'm going back and no. forth you can't see it at home but these guys can see it oh, oh gosh oh, here it comes it's going it's a, on Messer Carlson's head. That is uncomfortable. There are a lot of nails sticking out of that. Jeez, am I bleeding? Oh, you are a little bit. I'm sorry. Here, you can take it off. You can take it off. You can take it off. Oh, Jesus. It'll be just a ceremonial crown that... uh, It's it's really pretty. Oh, yep. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's just not not a thing. I only had extra large nails. (laughs) I can tell. I was going to ask about that. They are indeed holding the mime of this crown up to a very unrelenting standard for my amusement. So I hope you appreciate that. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, We're really good. We're really good with object work in our improv for our podcast. It's very good. Top ranks in Improv Academy. It's how it's how we immerse ourselves in the scene. But anyway, congratulations on your least loser uh, designation this week, Eric. Well done. Um, I think what uh, really tipped it in your in your favor this week um, is I really felt one that you took the game in your own personal direction, which uh, your own personal uh, direction that's very different from from the game itself, um, but that you also satisfied like the feeling of the game itself too. Um, I loved your choices of details with, you know, describing the various trees. Every time you talked about like a detail that was like, this tree is like this and all that. 
Um, I was like, hey, they do that. You know, that's a thing. You know, Henry knows about these things because, I mean, he took this job. He's not the best at it, but he knows how to 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 survive in this wilderness. And I really got that sense as he was going that. And there was a real appreciation for the environment that I, I felt reflected the game, but also just, you know, you know, made me like the character, drew me in. Um, and the the way that the piece evolves and builds to this final moment, I, it was just excellent tension throughout, and we know that that's where we're heading. We know by the end, I was like, we're going to see what is going to happen here, and you satisfied that, so that was incredibly satisfying. And then when you got there... There's another bit of discovery that happens. You know, it's like even though we see everything that he's seen, you did an excellent job of pacing out him actually realizing what all of these things mean. You know, like the truth behind these elements. Because it seems, even though it's so apparent what is happening to him right off the bat, and it is what has happened with this woman lying there dead, all the details come clearer and clearer and I just thought that the sense of discovery leading up to that moment and within that moment was very satisfying. So, congratulations. Fantastic. Um, yes. So, then I have to ask, what do you think is the answer uh, to the question at the end? Who, who has he been speaking to this whole time? Old man, who's to say? Who's to say? I'm not going to answer it. Okay. I'm leaving that to the listener. Do you have a theory? Do I have a theory? Yeah. Who is listening? Um, I don't know. Aliens? Yeah. Yep. It's a solid choice. I've got a theory. What's, what's your theory, Marcus Man? My theory is that uh, he was hallucinating the whole thing. Ooh. He, uh, he killed her and has, has some mental uh, block around that. Because I got to say, the, the biggest evidence for the theory is he walked into a room with a five-week-old corpse and thought it was a fresh body, which means he's got some kind of crazy going on. Ooh, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean this man needs help. Uh, interesting. All right. Very. That Look is. That, that is certainly a theory. That's. Ooh. Yeah. He's not answering. Interesting. He's not giving a solid answer. Which. Well, well now that you good. said that about leaving it up to the audience now. Oh please don't don't you dare say another yeah. word. Yeah. I won't. I won't keep. I won't make it explicit. Okay, he will good. revoke that bloody crown. <laughs> I, I have the power. I have that power. It is decreed up on high. Uh, so. Anyway, that's that's great. Look, like I'm, I'm Marcus. Marcus has uh, has you know swayed me towards I, that direction. I can say that I am very pleased that that is what you took away from it. Oh man! And I am also Andrew very very pleased that that was that the tension at the end worked for you. That's that's what I was going for. Yeah, it, it worked for at least one person. Yes. So that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marcus. <laughs> Uh, the the little romp that you took us through, uh, all smiles. Um, <laughs> Definitely a uplifting piece, as yeah. you promised. Yeah, yeah, I I'm lifted up and <laughs> might just jump. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh no, Andrew! <laughs> Don't do Goodbye. it, buddy. Oh, there he goes. All right. Um, no, I'm back. Oh. Um, Very fast tower. Climber. So yeah, so this uh, so this story. Um, it's again your decisions to kind of base it around a decision that he has to make again great choice great in keeping with the the functions of the game and then also you took it 
to an element of, well, you both did, but Marcus really hit on this with this paranoia element, this really serious, dark paranoia that, uh, that your Henry is feeling, um, which is, is, is so, it was so effective, and then also it kept, it is in keeping to the game itself as well, because, again, you can kind of choose how you react to things in the game. You know, that's, again, part of the, the decision-based dynamic of it. But if you go down a certain road, you can get to the point that things get really paranoid. And 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 you're just freaking out, and you can blame Delilah for certain things if you want. Um, and another thing that you el- that you hit on, which was interesting, that you went this route because every time I play this game, I'm typically pretty friendly to Delilah because she's a funny person, she's easy to talk to. So you taking it in an opposite direction, where Henry is very annoyed by her and doesn't want to reach out to her, shook it up, and that definitely. Dis, like kind of disrupted me in listening sure. to your story and kind of shook me off and knocked me off balance because I was like, no, Delilah's fun. <laughs> and, but you had this, the Henry in your story is just the opposite. And that really kept me on my toes. And like, it, 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 it I don't know. I, I, I really reacted to that. And so well done. I, I just, I, I like that choice a lot. Well, it's interesting because he kind of uh, turns Henry into the player. You know, mm-hmm. he is he is Henry. He is he is sitting there and he being Marcus sitting there with his with his PlayStation controller and he's uh he is he is operating Henry. You know, he's making mm-hmm. the decisions for Henry. So it's like in his playthrough of the game, he chooses to yeah. be more uh, you know, more paranoid of Delilah mm-hmm. and not be friendly to her. Yeah. Um and it's it's actually interesting. That's I think the most successful thing about your story, Marcus, is that you add this perspective. It, it, the story itself you're, that you wrote is basically, it's almost a recap of the prompt. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff that you mention and name drop and check in your story that was told to us explicitly by Andrew. Um, and you kind of go back through all those elements and you add this layer of analysis. Um, I, I felt uh, a little let down that there wasn't more that you added um, other than the perspective. There wasn't more story that we got, really. Yeah. You left it at this decision point, and I was I was disappointed by that because I wanted to see where Marcus took that, where, where Marcus's um, playthrough would go from there. So I felt like it was kind of this good buildup to a story I haven't heard yet. And so my reaction um, was, uh, I think... It was positive up until the end, and then I was like, oh, I want more. You know, it's, it's interesting. I originally had the choice. Like, I had the next few bits in there, and then I, <laughs> I cut it. Snip them. Um, so where, where do you think? What do you think uh, Henry would do or should do next? I have no idea. I don't think he's going to call for help. That's for sure. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna go off in the wilderness with his with his uh, rusty tracking skills. That's where I'd take it. Oh, oh! After Brian Goodwin. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Following in those footsteps, hopefully not to their same grisly end. Assumed. We don't know. We don't know what happened to Brian. We don't know. Don't know. Uh, where would you take it, Andrew? Where would I take it? Yeah. I think that's that's where I was heading as well, you know based off the character that you know that he that Marcus had set up. Because that sounds like a better adventure. 
Sure. There you go. Yep. It's a good That's story. What we want. It's a good story going off into the wild on your own. Yeah. 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 Marcus? Yeah. Uh, do not tell. You don't. You dare reveal what you wrote after that. I do not want to know. Nope. Don't. 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 He opened his mouth. He did. He opened his mouth. Speak. And I cut him down, shutting it down. Andrew um, interjected. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a that's a writing word. Hey, yeah. there it is. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, the again, like the elements. It's really it's so fun to see. Like I, I agree with Eric. You know, in your aspects where it was like, yeah, you know, we would have wanted to see, you know kind of, you know, see more of your, like, extrapolation of the ideas, you know, going beyond them. I agree. Um, yeah, but, like, the decisions that you did make with the elements that you were given, again, like, over and over, I felt like you were twisting them in a direction that I never would have gone. Or when I play this game, I have never gone. So I'd be interested to see if you play through this game and start making the decisions the way that you have crafted Henry in your piece yeah. to see that where that would get you. Because I find it so at odds with how I interact with people. <laughs> That's the thing. It, it's it's uh it's interesting to me, and I always think about this when I play games, because I'm bad at role playing in games, uh, especially in my first playthrough. I like to be me and just be nice, essentially. Is yeah. How I go through with this story, though, I was really trying to go off of where I thought Henry would be emotionally going into this. Like, why do you go out to take this job? And I yeah. thought that person would be really ticked off at the chatty Kathy on the mm-hmm. phone. Uh, I came out here to be alone yeah. with my thoughts. Yeah, and Sorry. like he can't turn it off because she's his superior. Uh, so <laughs> I thought that was like probably not how I would play it, but yeah, consistent to the character I was trying to come up with. And yeah. then I usually like to do a second playthrough where I go the opposite of all my instincts to see how far afield you can get in the evil version. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be interested to know how that would go if you if you do that in the game. Um, but again, the decision-making in the game, a lot of it is different. I, I can't remember how much detail I went into when I pitched it to you, but it's a little bit different than you would expect from games like this. Um, it functions, it plays a different function in the game than, than most. Um, but I do want to pitch, like with your story, I think I, I will also... Um, you know, going off of what Eric said, I think one of the key things that with your story that I did, I was definitely left wanting and not in a, I mean, in a good way, but also in a not so good way where at the beginning of the, 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 the piece really felt in my, in my take kind of like it kind of flowed kind of like with his conscious, you know, it was just kind of like a bunch of ideas that you kind of flowed from one to the next, which, you know, it kind of keeps in that character, you know, that's paranoid and, you know, alone, isolated. Um, But you set up in the early goings that I thought, like right away you're saying like that Henry is thinking about killing himself. And I definitely took that as at his word. So when the piece didn't really explain that about like at a certain point and just got into these decisions in terms of what actions he's going to take in regards to Brian Goodwin um, I actually felt that like the contract that you had set up at the beginning of the piece kind of got lost at some point and I that's why when the end kind of came it was like okay this is this is this you know open-ended we're left in this open-ended place 
but it also doesn't necessarily feel like what you set up for the piece. And yeah, it, I, I just, I found that unsatisfying in, in kind of like a way that it was like, okay, this, this, I think this could have used more of a through line through it. Would it have been stronger had um, Henry been uh, perched at the edge of a cliff trying to decide whether to throw himself off? <laughs> Would that have strengthened the through line? I'm not going to say. not going to say. I, uh, that sounds like a story I would not enjoy as much. Uh, so I'm going to say probably not. Not but... to make light of suicide. But yeah. if you're talking about suicide, does having would it be better to have an impending, not a threat, because it's it's something you're just deciding to do. Does that strengthen the decision then? Like, do I do I have my you know loaded gun right here versus I could go off and try to find Brian? Mm-hmm. No, it like it, by the end of your piece, Henry struck me as a more together person than then he, he seemed on. at the beginning. Sure. Um, because he seemed so at his end near the beginning that by the end when he was making the decisions of like how to like save these people or find these people I was like oh I thought the guy wanted to kill himself at the beginning of this so there was a bit of a disconnect there sure with my experience yeah I I, uh, I think that's a very valid point and part of that was the struggle I had coming up with this piece the, the framing yeah. of it because uh, I it was definitely a balance between uh, how do I stay true to what you've told me versus I feel like if I created a, a more wholesale story I would have delivered something that was more satisfying and I think ultimately the uh, the problem that you're addressing with the, the contract that I make in the opening is uh, that it gets addressed earlier than the end right mm-hmm. so it's not like I mean, you're really addressing it three or four paragraphs in when he says, okay, well, now I've got this reason to live. I've got to help Brian, right? That's that's mm-hmm. the thing, because I can't have a kid. Uh, so I think that's an interesting problem with the structure of the story, because it was mm-hmm. like, that, that kind of closes off. And also, it's interesting that you're reading this as he was totally suicidal. I thought he was just uh, suicidally apathetic, perhaps. Like, he didn't sure. have the... The will to live, but he also didn't have the drive to end his life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely got what you, yeah. The, the the way I was interpreting it was the former of what you just said, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's the weight of opening lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They stick with you in ways that are that you don't always expect. Yeah. In, in all fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. But- Gentlemen. What, oh. One thing I got to say about Mr. Carlson's story, which oh, please. Again, I very please much enjoyed do. before I yes, go. Uh, you have been doing an excellent job uh, for a while, but uh, even more recently, of setting these tangible details in your prose. And I thought this was an excellent example of that. Like, I really felt like I could see and feel the trail as he was making his way mm-hmm. over to Delilah's Tower. And I really appreciated that level of detail. And it all felt atmospheric as well like it was tying into the mood not just a list of descriptive features i appreciate that thank you yeah and again it's really i mean the game is all atmosphere Mm -hmm. i mean you spend such long passages of this game just kind of 
walking through it. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I expected. I mean, from mm-hmm. what you were talking about, from Ollie Moss being behind the art in this, I'm just like, this is a pretty game. This is going to be like kind of a, I feel like a slow burn mm-hmm. if you play through it. Um, I wanted to kind of get that same feeling in my writing. Nice. Yeah. No, you definitely achieved that. And I'm that. so excited to play this. This is definitely one I'm going to pick up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you's got to. And there's so many places to pick it up. You can get it anywhere. Like, if you got a system, you got a computer, like a, you can probably play Like it. your local haberdashery? Nope. You nope. said anyway. Oh, I mean, like, where you get games. So, like, on your can computer? You, can you not? Okay. Like, on your Windows machine? Yeah. Or but your you Mac know, machine? What, what are we going to do out here in Shoshone? Oh. Miles from any Gotta use our SAT Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, that's going to kill our data plan. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That's what uh, it's out here. So, it's on the Xbox and the PlayStation. It is. And it's coming it out on indeed. Switch. Maybe out on the Switch by the time this releases. Yeah, I don't have a release date in front of me. It, um, it hasn't been announced yet, because that's that's what I'm okay. waiting for. I'm going to switch it up. <gasps> switch it up. That'd be good. Yeah. I You know, I I think no matter where you play it, you'll you'll have a good experience. I, I can't imagine you not. And I, I will say, uh, wrapping up our series of three indie game shams. That's right. I uh, hope you enjoyed this little experiment of ours. Thanks again to Reed for the awesome chiptunes music. Yeah. Yeah, it's so uh, good. Really, really enjoyed that. <laughs> and I think this is a great example of the kind of stories that you may or may not be aware of being told in indie video games. Uh, they're, they're great stories for the player experience, and they can inspire stories just like some of the best movies and books that we have seen and read. So... Go out and try a game. Play something that you haven't heard of before. It's got some good buzz. Uh, the developers really appreciate it. And I'm going to be trying these two games for sure. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> B- bullet. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, drop 20 bucks. Play a weird indie game. Yeah. yeah. No, the, 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 the way that they're playing with form, it's just, it's not all, uh, it's not all your halos. And your Mario's anymore. Yeah, that was, those were that was the two genres. Yeah, and now, wide open. Wide open. As wide open is this beautiful landscape oh, in which man. we are sitting. We're looking out on a beautiful forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Visit visit your national parks, everyone. That's the lesson to be taken from all these episodes. And take your switch, and you can do the best of both worlds. Oh, there you go. That's right. Beautiful. All right, gang. I think it's time to sign off for another week. Thank you for listening to Sham Fiction. Go play some indie games, and we will catch you on the flip side. Bye-bye. Later. Sham Fiction is a Two Jackets production hosted by Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Original music by Reed Reimer. Head to shamfiction.com for the episode archive. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Hey, Sham Losers. Have you ever considered being awesome instead of sucking all the time? I've got three simple rules for you wimps. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Join Andrew and Eric as they enter the dojo and learn how to do rad kicks and stuff, and probably make out with girls. You know, under the instruction of the greatest sensei of all time, don't you dare say Danny LaRusso. I'm talking about the one, the only, Johnny Lawrence from the hit YouTube original series, Cobra Kai. Yeah.
This has been a Two Jackets production. <laughs>